Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you how your love covers a multitude of sins. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And we can go boldly before your throne because perfect love casts out all fear. And that's why we come today, God. We come to be reminded of how you love us. We come to be reminded that we're not orphans. That if we've trusted in the Lord, we are sons and daughters. We come to be reminded of your goodness. Because how we so easily forget. So God, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your patience and your compassion, your love and your kindness, your tender mercy. Thank you, God, that you enjoy singing over us with songs of joy as we lift our praises to you. And we cannot fathom that. A holy and righteous God singing over us when you deserve all the praise. God, you have our undivided attention this morning. In a very divided world, Lord, this morning we set aside this time to give you our undivided attention. And we give you permission, Lord, to access those places we've locked away in our heart, those places of pain, those places of shame, those places of fear. And God, we give you permission today to pour out your love, to bring the breakthrough. Because that's what you love to do. You love to surround your children with your presence and your love. To pour over us grace and mercy. You don't desire to punish, but to offer mercy. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. And we thank you, God, that we get to be recipients of that amazing grace this morning. We love you, Lord. And it's your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all. It's awesome just to lift the praises of the Lord with you together and just to sing. It stirs my heart, and I love just feeling his presence. I sometimes get goosebumps from head to toe whenever I just sense the Lord moving. And, if you, you know, I'm, I'm a hairy man already, but if you were close, you'd see all my hair standing up on, on edge because I just I really believe that God is here that Jesus is among us, and that he wants to reach somebody today. There's, there's a message in the, the message today for someone here who has been living their entire life as a spiritual orphan, that you don't know your father's love, and that has created a mentality, a mindset in you you've been wrestling with your whole life, and maybe some of the reasons why you've struggled and why you, you face issues in your life is because of this very thing. And I believe that God wants to introduce you to his true love today. A love you do not earn. A love you joyfully receive. Before we do that, I just want to call your attention, parents, especially to um, these little packets. We have been putting these out. And Katie, our kids director, has been doing an awesome job of putting these packets out that not only have little activity sheets for the kids, but also has a devotional. 
It has a worship guide for them. So as you're bringing your kids with you, that there are ways for them to kind of follow along. Like this page is for sermon notes. It has different things that they can try to listen for and uh, and write down while they're in the, the service with you. I know it can be a challenge to to pay attention while you're trying to also be a parent at the same time. But this is a great way for the kids to stay connected and then take this home and use this for devotions for throughout the week. As you're talking with your kids about, you know, what happened at church, what you heard, what you learned, it's a way that the whole family can grow together. So I want to encourage you um, to to not only pick one of these up at the VIP table when you gather with us, but to take it home and engage with your kids. I believe that God has designed parents to be the primary uh, teachers of the word of God in their homes, that it's not the church's job to raise your kids. It's your job to raise your kids. We, we're just a supplement. We just encourage you on how to live this out. So um, this is just a great tool that you can use, and um, it has blessed my heart just a couple of times that I've seen uh, some of the things my kids have written in it. You know, I they make a habit of tuning me out all week long. Sunday's no different uh, usually, but to actually see them writing some verses down and, and getting something out of it has been a blessing to us, and so I know it will be to you, especially as you see how God is working in their lives. We are uh, continuing this journey through the scriptures uh, we're in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, as we are discovering the great romance story that is the Bible. From cover to cover, from Genesis 1 all the way to the last chapter in Revelation, it is a narrative of the greatest romance story ever told. And we talked last week about how that word ram- romance includes mystery and excitement, especially surrounding the concept of love. And this is really what the Bible is. It is a love story of how a father is trying to reunite with his children and how a son is cultivating an eternal bride for himself. And last week we looked at the story of Abraham and how Abraham passes the test of God. He walks in faithful obedience, offering his son Isaac on the altar. And through this act of obedience, God confirmed his covenant to bless Abraham's line, his entire family line that they would be blessed, and that God would cultivate for himself a people through this family, as well as give him a promised land, a special piece of land on the earth that would be set aside for God's people and God himself, a place where his name would be glorified and honored. Today we are going to begin in Genesis chapter 24. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there, as well as on the YouVersion Bible app. The message notes will be included there on the events page. But we're in Genesis chapter 24, and now in the story, Isaac's mother Sarah has passed away, and Abraham is old in age, and in his final days, Abraham calls his servant to him and asks his servant to take upon a mission. He has his servant promise that he would go back to Abraham's family in the land of his fathers, that he would find a wife for his son, and that He wasn't to choose a wife from any of the surrounding nations, that he had to go specifically back to his family. And not only did he have to go back to his family, but he couldn't take Isaac with him. He had to leave Isaac in the promised land because that's where God said that they would live. But he had to go back and find a wife and then bring the wife back to his son. And so the servant humbly accepted the challenge, the mission. And the servant goes to the father's land, um, the land of Abraham's father's God leads him supernaturally to the the home of his brother, and he encounters this young woman 
at the well named Rebekah, the daughter of Abraham's brother. And through a prophetic confirmation, he has this prayer with he, conversation with God. He asks God to confirm the identity of Isaac's wife. He has this prophetic confirmation that this is who God has chosen for Isaac. The servant convinces her and her family to, to come back with him so that Isaac can become married to this young woman, Rebekah. And so they begin this journey back. And on the way back, Isaac sees the servant and his soon-to-be bride afar off, and he takes off like a bolt of lightning. He's like, yes, here, here I go. And Rebecca, seeing her husband, her soon-to-be husband coming from a distance, gets off her camel, puts on her veil, prepares herself, adorns herself to meet her husband. And it, the Bible records that when Isaac sees Rebecca, that he is smitten with her. And it's not a coincidence because the name Rebecca literally means uh, one who entrances others by her beauty. So that she, she was this beautiful young woman, and Isaac was instantly smitten with her. And it says that Isaac knew his wife, and she was a special comfort to Isaac. So he had been mourning his mother's death for going on three years. He was just devastated by this loss. But now God has brought him this young woman who has filled his life again with joy and completeness. Now, Isaac and Rebekah struggle to have children on their own, similar to Abraham and Sarah. But they, Isaac and Rebekah continue to pray to the Lord, and one day the Lord speaks to Rebekah and tells her that she is going to have a child, not just a child, but twin boys. And when the twins were born, uh, the Lord told her in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, says, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger. This is God's prophecy about these two kids. Now, when they were born, uh, one of the kids had his hand out that, that they were assuming would be the firstborn, so they tied a string to his hand, and he put his hand back in, and then the other son actually came out first. So Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the second. Now, Esau... His name means Harry. Somebody say Harry. Why did they name him Harry? It's because he was Harry when he was born. See, back in this day, the first thought that came to your parents' mind when they saw you often became your name. So uh, imagine if you're walking around today and you introduce yourself and they're like, hi, my name's Harry. And you say, hi, my name's Jaundice. You know, it's just like, you know, th this is what have happened. You could have been goopy or, 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 you know, or slick. I don't know well, what your name could be, but some of you may have had a different childhood if we named our kids the way they named them back then. But Esau's name was Harry, and Jacob's name had an even more significant meaning because he was born grasping the heel of his brother. So as his brother's coming out, Jacob's holding on to his heel, and so the name Jacob means heel grabber. Somebody say heel grabber. Heel grabber. This also means deceiver. So, so though his hand was coming out first, they thought he was the first. He actually came out second. He was labeled the deceiver. How many of you would like that name? And anybody know any Jacobs? Jacob? Deceiver. Right there. No, just kidding. But this was his name. It means deceiver. 
And just as these boys were born, just before, Rebecca gets this prophetic revelation. And this is significant because God tells Rebecca, look, the way parents and families, the, the way things normally work is not going to be how it works in your home. Normally, the firstborn, he gets all the rights, like the rights of the firstborn. He gets to carry on the family name. He gets the lion's share of the inheritance. Uh, he gets the blessing. There are many things that come with this uh, prophecy, with this position as the firstborn. But the troubling thing about this prophecy is that Rebecca is told that's not going to be how it works. Matter of fact, two nations are going to arise from both of your sons, and the older son is actually going to serve the younger. This is unusual. This is not how it normally happens. And we can see why this story unfolds or why it happens this way as we continue to read in verse 27 through 34. The boys have gotten older. Esau becomes an avid hunter. He's a man of the woods. He's a wild man. Jacob is a mama's boy. He's at home in the tent learning how to cook and clean and, and all of those things. Your, your typical um, just your picture that you would you would think of, of a situation like that. But it says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So already in their home, we had a war between who preferred who. Rebekah loved her son. Isaac loved Esau, the older son. So one day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn son. Again, what we see here is something that's not insignificant. This is hugely significant in this family. The rights of the firstborn were traded in this deal, the inheritance, the name, and the legacy. Esau was overcome with hunger. And what happened in this moment is he allowed his present circumstance, his present pressure to overshadow his greatest treasure. He let his present need or his present feelings and emotions overshadow his greatest treasure, which was his legacy. Not to mention a chapter or two later, Isaac on his deathbed wants to give the father's blessing to his sons. And Jacob overhears Isaac ask his wife to uh, give this blessing. And, and Rebekah goes to Jacob and says, quickly, if you act fast, you can get the blessing instead of Esau, and then you'll have it all. And they go through this whole thing, and Jacob is blessed, and Esau is left out in the cold. One decision from Esau leads to another. One impulsive moment leads to a ripple effect of outcomes. And here is why this is important. Because the legacy of the firstborn, if, if Esau had been given the blessing, if he had been maintained his rights as the firstborn, then the legacy of the family would have passed through Esau. And instead of God Almighty being known uh, in history as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
he would have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Think of the significance of this moment, trading his birthright, trading his blessing for a little bowl of stew. In just a moment, he forsook who he was. He forsook his identity over something so trivial in the moment, and it had eternal significance. And how many times do we do this in our lives? We've been tempted in the moment, overwhelmed by pressure, knowing full and well what we were, uh, were about to do could be incredibly damaging, but because we were blinded by how we were feeling, we made the decision anyway. We do this in big and small ways, little ways like maybe breaking a diet that we're trying to do to get healthy or something even as devastating as breaking marriage vows. We're overcome by temptation like this all of the time. Well, we forsake our inheritance of who we are as sons and daughters of God for something so trivial in the moment. And this story is so key because Jacob and Esau don't just represent a godly lineage of a people, the people of Israel, the way God cultivated a people for himself uh, through the nation of Israel, but they also represent uh, not just what happens when we make poor decisions, but they represent the reality of two covenants that we read about in Scripture, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this shows us a very important truth, that not only are we not capable of doing good on our own, in the Old Testament, Paul tells us in Romans that the reason why God gave the law to begin with was to reveal to us how wicked we really were. He gave us a law, 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and Israel tried to become righteous in and of themselves through obeying that law. But what the law shows is that every time we try to do good, we end up doing the very opposite that we want to do because of the sinful nature that's in us. 613 commandments, trying to do good on our own and realizing we can't do it, we can't make it. We need a sacrifice. We need someone to do good on our behalf. So the Old Testament showed us this very important truth that we're not capable of becoming good on our own, that we have this propensity inside of us to continually trade our inheritance for something far less valuable. But even now, with the cross of Jesus Christ, new life in the Holy Spirit, we still wrestle with this sinful nature that tries to pull us away from the purposes of God and from experiencing the goodness that he's prepared for us in our lives. And see, we didn't need an old covenant, and God knew this. He knew we didn't need an old covenant where we could try to be good on our own that was solely based on our merit. We needed a greater covenant, a covenant that was solely based on God's love and his mercy, which is why we read in Jeremiah chapter 31 how God instituted, it was going to institute a new covenant. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 32 says, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their sins, and I will never again remember their sins. Aren't you thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ and the new covenant? Aren't you thankful? You see, the firstborn, Esau, 
represented the first covenant, the first relationship that God had with man through Israel that was instituted at Sinai through the prophet Moses, through the law. But as you trace the history of the people of God, you can see even beginning at Sinai with the worship of the golden calf all the way through the history of the kings, that king after king after king departed from the ways of the Lord, led the nation into wickedness, that they turned their back on their inheritance, which was the Lord our God, to serve other gods, gods of wood and stone, hay and stubble. That they forsook the true God for false gods. They forsook the blessings of God for curses that come through you know, walking away from the Lord. We see this all the way through their history. And why did they do this? Why did Israel depart from their inheritance, depart from who they were created to be? It's because they wanted what other nations had. They were jealous of the nations around. They wanted a king. Give us a king, but God was already their king. They wanted, they wanted gods like other gods, but God was already the, their God. The true and living God was also their king, but yet they traded their inheritance in the Lord for lesser gods of the world. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9, kind of a retelling uh, of the Jeremiah prophecy. He says, This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Because Israel rejected their inheritance, God nullified the covenant with Israel by instituting a new covenant. Hebrews 8.13, it says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the old one or first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. That the covenant that came before, it stands as a testimony, but now the new covenant is the new reality. And in Jesus, there is now a new and better covenant. Amen? A new and a better covenant, where just as Rebecca's prophecy comes into fruition through Esau and Jacob, the older serving the younger, now in the reality with our relationship with God, the older covenant serves the new covenant. The old covenant commanded obedience through keeping the law. The new covenant is now written not on stones, tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our very own hearts through our faith in Jesus Christ. We no longer have to try to count on our own holiness to appease God through religious works. It's through the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. It's the blood of Jesus and his glorious resurrection that's made salvation possible. And by placing your faith and trust in him, we no longer have to appease God by doing works. We please God because we belong to him. It's not a relationship of appeasement. It's a relationship of pleasing him through our faith. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Israel asked this question of the Lord as God is speaking to them. And Malachi said, God is telling the nation, I've always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. And what's so significant about this prophecy is he's not only talking to Israel about his personal relationship with them and his desire to love them, but it's foretelling about these two covenants where Israel himself would walk the way of Esau, forsake their own inheritance, their own covenant, and God would send judgment. He sent the, the Babylonians into the nation and devastated the nation. 
He sent the Assyrians, the Persians, the Byzantines, until just in, about 100 years ago, the nation was nearly uninhabited, other than rogue groups that would have victory and would have domination over religious sites. God devastated Israel's inheritance, which was the name, the blessing, and the land. But there's coming a time when Israel as a nation will be accepted again. Prophet Zechariah says, when they see the one who they have pierced, they will turn to the Lord. There is a coming day for glory for Israel. What's amazing about this story is though, even though Jacob receives the inheritance of Esau, that Jacob inherits the blessing. In this moment, when Esau discovers what Jacob did, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. He wanted to wipe him out and take back everything that he had uh, earned or right was rightfully his that he had been swindled away. And Jacob flees out of the area, flees to his brother's wrath, and he goes into another land, and years and years pass. And one day, Jacob says, I want to be reconciled with my brother again, and begins to journey back to the land of his brother. And on the way there, he has an encounter with an angel. It's kind of a funny story. It's very significant, but it's funny. Jacob, he camps out for the night, sends his family uh, um, down the road, and he camps out, and all of a sudden it says an angel shows up and just starts wrestling with him. Like, can you, can you picture that? You're minding your own business. You turn around, and all of a sudden you just get, like, tackled by an angel, and you're in this wrestling match all night long. It's, you know, there's got to be a comedy in there somewhere. But he's wrestling this angel, and he decides, I'm not going to give up until this angel blesses me. The angel has to break his hip in order to let him go. And so, like, I think it's hilarious because we see that God actually fights dirty. So if you're going to fight God, understand God's going to win no matter what. He, can, he even may break your hip. But before God breaks his hip and Jacob lets go, the angel blesses him. And in Genesis 32, 28, here's what the scriptures record. God tells Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, which means God contends. Somebody say God contends. God contends, or it can also mean the Lord will prevail or God prevails. So Jacob's name is changed from deceiver to God contends or the Lord will prevail. And this is an incredible mystery. Just before Jacob and Esau are reconciled together, they have this, he has this encounter, and it reveals the mysterious redemption plan of God. Why the name Israel why the name God contends? It's because God was contending for a people he could have for himself. He was fighting not for a people who would trade their inheritance and go off another way. He was contending for a people that would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. A people that would pursue the heart of God no matter the cost, no matter what it cost them. Just as God contended for Israel in that God is also contending or contending to bring about the new covenant that would supplant the old covenant so he could give us a new identity so you could become victorious and be united in the Lord who prevails. And in this new identity that we have in Jesus, we would be victorious over anything the enemy would bring against us. God is contending for you uh, I said last week, my wife and I started watching this show called The Locator about 
this private investigator that's reuniting long-lost families. And it's just telling to me, and as I was thinking about this this morning, this came to my mind as we're talking about God contending for us. And in this show, it is, it's con- completely filled with children who are abandoned by their parents for, for one way or another, given up for adoption, uh, wh- what have you. But something happened early on, and a child is given up for adoption, and the child grows up with a longing in their heart they cannot fill. Even if they had the best family, there was something in their heart that could not be filled. And so they're, they're just broken over. And they get to this place where they're like, I want to find my birth family. I feel like if I find my birth family, then that hole can be filled, even if it's not good. And they don't want anything to do with me. I'll at least have some closure that, that I tried and I discovered this for myself. And so they hire this investigator to go look for the family and then he reunites them. And most of them... Uh, um, the reunions are very positive. Some of them are not, but most of them are. But what's amazing is a story we watched recently. There was a, a young girl who she grew up in foster care or was, was adopted finally, but she was depressed her whole life. She was a cutter. She was all these things, drug, uh, drug um, addictions, the whole nine. And she points back to the fact that she did not have a relationship with her birth family. And story after story after story, including this one, when the investigators invest, like interviewing the, the one looking for the, the lost parents, the question that comes up all the time in the statement is, I just want to know, were they looking for me? I want to know, did, did they think about me? And did they try to find me? And, and when the re- reunions happen, and they, you begin to see the conversation between the, the child and the parent, Whenever the parent says, I have always loved you, I've always been looking for you, I just couldn't find you, that I, I, I would look and I would have no luck, and, and I was just looking for you, it's like instant healing comes over that young child, which is now usually an adult. It, it's like a part of them is mended just knowing that they weren't rejected, that they were accepted, they weren't cast aside, that, that whatever separated them in the beginning was not meant to be permanent because the, the parents' love was intact. And I think of how God is revealing to us in Jacob with the name that God contends is that what separated us at the beginning through sin in Genesis chapter 3, we're all born into this life spiritual orphans. We're all born separated from God. God has never stopped searching for you. God has never stopped fighting for you. God has never stopped contending for your heart so that one day you could be reunited again. But there was something in the way keeping that reunion from happening. But when you called out to the Lord, when you said yes to Jesus and you gave him your life and you entered into that new covenant, that's where that reunion takes place. That's where his joy fills your heart and all those places in your life that have not been able to be filled by anything else in the world, not drugs, not relationships, not worldly success, all of that in an instant is filled by the Lord. Such a beautiful picture of how the new covenant brings us into this relationship with Jesus. God is contending for us. God is prevailing. See, Jesus prevailed over sin. Jesus prevailed over death. Jesus prevailed over the enemy and shattered his power in one fell swoop through his death and resurrection. 
And every new creation in Christ is more than a conqueror because we now, in Christ, prevail with the Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? God has demonstrated his love for us by contending for our hearts. The prophets spoke of a time of the Gentiles, a time the nations would be risen up to make Israel jealous. Romans 10.19 says, But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. The word Gentile there can be translated Gentile, but it is also the Greek word ethnos, which actually means ethnicity or nations. So he's going to rouse the jealousy of Israel through the nations. What is he saying? He's saying, in this new covenant, I'm going to pull not just from the nation of Israel. I'm going to pull from people over every continent, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I'm going to draw them in to this people who is going to cause Israel to become jealous. John 1:11 through 12 says, Jesus came to his own people. They even rejected him, meaning Israel. But all who believed him and accepted him did he give the right to become the children of God. In the new covenant, anyone who trusts in the Lord can be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. What Israel did not know is that by rejecting their covenant with God, they were also rejecting their eternal relationship with the Lord through Jesus the Messiah. Not just having the temple in their city, in their state or their nation, but becoming the temple of God. Do you think Esau knew that when he traded his inheritance that his eternal legacy would be changed? No. Do you think Israel knew when they rejected Jesus that their eternal legacy would be changed? No. Rather than having a temple, becoming the temple. Just as Esau wanted to kill Jacob, the Jews persecuted the Christians and Yet still the gospel went out to other parts of the world, to Gentiles from every nation. They became born again into the family of God. And this is to culminate and fulfill the great mystery of the Lord. The great mystery between the two covenants, between the brother Esau and the brother Jacob. God didn't want to forsake Israel and, the gen- and accept the Gentiles. He wanted to unite them together as one. And I love this. Because in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, as we think of the prophecy to Esau that the older will serve the younger, in Revelation 20, verse 4, the Bible tells us in eternity, it says, Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands, They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The bride of Christ, the people of God, through Jesus, get to reign with him. Those in the new covenant get to reign. So what happens to those in the old covenant? They get to serve while the new covenant gets to reign. You see, I said at the beginning, we live in an amazing time. God's grace and his patience are on display as he's contending for the world. He's contending for the hearts of the world. He's contending for us. So who is he contending for? He's contending for anyone who will turn to Jesus and be saved. Anyone who will turn to the Lord and say, yes, God. You want me? I want you in return. And that's the invitation 
to you today. The story of Jacob is about one who was labeled a deceiver through an encounter with God, was identified with the God who prevails. And that's the same story you've been invited into. But your past is past, and all things are new in Jesus Christ. I just love this reality, especially as one who has struggled with insecurity and fear and past mistakes. To know that the God of the universe wants to change my name. He wants to change my reputation. He wants to change my complete identity so that it's solely found in him. To know that my father in heaven is contending for my heart. That just as Isaac, when he saw his bride, was infatuated with his bride, filled with joy, that Jesus is infatuated with his bride. He's overcome with delight. And who is the beloved of the Lord? It's you. It's us together. As we come together, we worship him. The Lord delights over us. And this is what this is all about. That God can plunge us into his goodness. That he can give us a glorious future. And I love this. That this is what the new covenant's all all about. Is that you get to exchange your past for God's future. You get to change your history for his glorious destiny because he loves you. So the question is today, beloved, what have you been exchanging for your inheritance in the world? When you think of what God has for you, what he's calling you into, what he's calling you to do as a disciple of Jesus, as the beloved of God, what are you exchanging your inheritance for? What's occupying your attention? What have you allowed to so overwhelm you that you're now forfeiting what God's prepared for you? Are you forfeiting your eternal legacy? Maybe you're allowing the expectations of others to keep you from becoming who God's contending for you to be. Maybe you're still trying to fulfill the old covenant and become righteous on your own by your own merit, your own good works. And today you need a revelation that it's nothing that you can do. It's everything that Jesus did. And by giving him your life, you can be changed. What's holding you back? See, the power of the gospel is demonstrated by the revelation that the older will serve the younger. And God is calling you into new today. And it's my prayer that as God is contending for your heart, as God is contending for your marriage, as God is contending for your children and all of your relationships, he's contending for every area of your life, that today you would say yes to him. And by giving him your whole life, God then can transform your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the story. I thank you for the revelation of the love of Christ. As the music begins to play and we enter this time of response, God, I just pray right now, that you begin drawing every heart. I pray, Lord, as we enter to a time of prayer, God, that the Holy Spirit, you'd reveal to our lives, you reveal to us, God, the places in our life that we're trading our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Our inheritance is to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the presence of God, to know the love of God and the joy to have a relationship with you, to have an eternal purpose, to be used of you to change hearts and lives.
and not just have blessing and favor in this life, but to have blessing and favor in all eternity as we get to spend eternity with you in your presence, never to be separated from our Heavenly Father again. To not walk this life as orphans, but to be able to walk this life as sons and daughters, fully confident in who you say we are and what you've prepared for us. And I just pray, God, today that that reality would sink in. God, I pray for those that maybe didn't have close relationships with their fathers or their mothers or their family members. Whether they were absent in the home or whether they were not even in the home, God, or whatever the case is, God, that whatever walls have been erected in their life, God, I pray that those walls would come down and you would today enable them to experience what it's like not to be a spiritual orphan anymore. But to be vulnerable in your presence is actually to be in the safest place you could be. God, I pray that your love would just fill this room and wash over each and every heart today. That the shame and the guilt of all the ways we've made mistakes, God, that they'll be washed away. And that they would hear in their spirit the songs of joy that you're singing over them because of being your, your son or your daughter. God, I pray if there's someone here today that's never begun a relationship with you, they've never said yes to Jesus. In just a moment when we pray, God, I pray that they would come forward so that we could pray together and they could receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and begin that new life as a son or daughter of God. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place today. What you're doing in hearts, how you're revealing Jesus to us and the story that you've laid out for thousands of years, revealing your heart and how you fought for our heart from the very beginning. Thank you for fighting for me and never giving up. Even when I've given you every reason to. Thank you for not giving up on me. Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.